0: Welcome back to the Living Richard podcast, and you're listening to episode number 13. And of course, as always, I'm your host, Mark Shimkovitz. So, this is the second in a three part mini series looking at insurance with my friend and seasoned estate planning specialist, Greg Chismagin. And I will touch on in just a second what we covered. But before I do, I have to say that this was one of those episodes where I kind of felt like I was the client. It reminded me, in fact, about what I enjoy most about being a financial advisor, and that's you know teaching people new things and bringing unique ideas and unique strategies to them that they might not have been familiar with. There were literally a couple of times in this interview, you'll hear, where Greg brings something up, and I was like, wow, I didn't know that. And it's kind of like finding a little nugget of knowledge that you can immediately use to help you achieve your goals. So, in this episode, Greg gave me a better understanding of the different types of life insurance, specifically term versus permanent insurance. And also, with regards to permanent insurance, he broke it down into three major categories. Uh, We then looked at how people typically in, say, the 40 to 60-year-old range could use it to build wealth reduce taxes, and also on intergenerational wealth transfer, um, a.k.a. how to get money to your kids and grandkids in the best possible way. We go in depth also on how business owners, professionals like doctors, dentists, and lawyers, how they're using different types of permanent insurance in their holding companies and professional corporations to achieve those goals. So get ready to learn a lot because I know I sure did.
1: Welcome to Living Richer with Mark Shimkovitz, Vice President at Raymond James Private Client Group, one of Canada's largest independent investment firms. In this podcast, he'll share with you the things you need to know and things you need to do to build a smart financial plan. Follow along with Mark and learn how to invest wisely, avoid financial mistakes, and navigate life's curveballs without fear. Now, let's get started.
0: Well, Greg, welcome back to Living Richer. On the last episode, where you were dressed so much better than I was, so I decided to put on a jacket for this one, (laughs) if we get it up on YouTube, people will say, hey, look at Mark, he's all dressed up. But on the last episode, we talked about individuals in the 25 to 40-year-old range, and today we want to talk about sort of that next category, people in, say, the 40 to 60-year-old range, and specifically people who are Sort of in that peak earning years uh, they 've got high income they 've got good savings, maybe they 've got some additional assets, um, like a cottage or a second property uh, they 've got a fairly mature business and and these are people who are I guess you could say more in the estate creation stage in their life, and right. specifically and, and I touched on this last time, we want to take a look at people who have. Um, corporations, and that could include doctors, dentists, lawyers, of course, business people. And we w- want to take a look at different types of insurance. And I think that at the end of the day, a lot of this uh, will look at tax and intergenerational wealth transfer, w- w- which is really just a fancy way of saying, you know, how do I get money to my kids or my grandkids in the most uh, efficient, uh, tax-effective way where more of my uh, wealth ends up in their hands. So uh, maybe we can just start off by looking at different types of insurance uh, that would be uh, relevant to this group, and, and particularly term insurance versus permanent life insurance. So uh, why don't we start there, Greg?
2: Yeah, no, delightful to be with you again. And, uh, it's uh, really interesting topic, a wide range of stuff here that we're gonna be able to cover. So term insurance and permanent insurance, two major camps of uh, types of life insurance that we're talking of. Term insurance is simply, uh, think of it almost like renting versus buying. And I know some people don't like that analogy, but I think it really does help people get their head around uh, the notion of, of the difference between the types of insurance. So if you're renting coverage, you're renting protection, you're paying rent, you're paying a premium Mm -hmm. uh, for the shelter that you have uh, for as long as you retain that. And typically, rent rates go up over time. Similarly, term insurance rates can escalate over time. And they're usually prescribed in advance uh, in 10-year increments or 20-year increments. Uh, So they're agreed upon uh, premiums, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ultimately, you do not own the protection. You don't, you don't own that contract. What you have is the, the right to receive the benefits if you die during that term. So right. in the next 10 years, as long as you pay your premiums, uh, you have that million dollars of protection that will go to your family. Uh, but at the end of that contract period, um, if you stop paying premiums, um, there is no refund of premiums. There's no cash value. There's no uh, equity, if you will, right. because you were renting. It's yep. like
0: car insurance or home insurance, and yeah. you pay your premium, you're, you're covered, you don't pay your premium, you're not, yeah. and, and and you'll, and it, you'll not be paying your premium for whatever reason, either there's no need or, or whatever the case may be.
2: Precisely. So take a mortgage, for example, uh, being a, a time driven need, um, mm-hmm. you know, you only need it for 20 or 25 years. And term insurance would be a very suitable solution for that what we in our world consider a temporary need, um, you know, temporary for two or three decades is uh, perhaps not a, a good definition for most people. But but, but in is. our world it is. Yep, sure. Yeah, it's a period of time. Um, so it's not a matter of good or bad. It's a matter of matching the risk to the the appropriate solution. Mm-hmm. So move over to the permanent insurance. The you know why do we buy our homes? Well, we have ownership, we have equity growth, we have an assurance of some value at the end of the day, uh, after we've made use of it during our life. Uh, Similarly, permanent insurance has that aspect that it protects your family in the same way as term insurance would. Mm -hmm. But it also has a certainty that there is some value out of this that, that I can derive during my lifetime, because there's cash value that I can draw on.
0: Cash or pretend- to make sure we discuss that
2: yeah okay. we'll, we'll turn we'll circle back to that for sure uh, uh, but also uh, I am also guaranteed and assured that I am not going to outlive my contract the, the 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 term insurance option has a eventual end point that you could live longer than you know most of them last till age 80 mm-hmm. or 85 and quite frankly most people don't keep them for that long because the The price increases are so severe that by age 60 or 70, they will have dropped the contract anyway, whereas a permanent policy will give you a higher premium starting point, but it will give you some guarantees that it won't escalate, and it will perhaps even give you an option to stop depositing, paying premiums for it at some future date. So it assures that you have the coverage. Even Mm -hmm. if you're 85 or 90, when you pass away, it will pay out.
0: And now how, how do you stop paying premiums?
2: Well, it's a function of function of the cash value in many cases. Okay. So if so, you've so got let, a yeah, product let's, that let's
0: has sort of focus in maybe on that, on the cash value and, and what that is and how yeah. that works and benefits of it. And. okay.
2: Yeah. So basically, uh, I mean, there's various products in this line. So before we get into that distinction, fundamentally, if you're if you're uh, as an insurer collecting more premiums than it costs to protect a 45 year old, for example, let's say the cost is a uh, dollar per thousand, but you're collecting, you're, the, the client is paying $2 per thousand. Okay. Uh, well, that excess that they're paying goes into this notional reserve, this, this pot, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that accumulates, and it accumulates free of tax, by the way, because the government permits insurers for the sake of the consumer, Gives the insurers the ability to to compound this money free of regular tax. It gets invested in the broad range of investments that that insurers are are able to put in, whether it's bonds, stocks, real estate, infrastructure, and so on.
0: Right. Because so the that first thing cash- I think that popped sorry, the yeah. first thing that sort of popped into my mind, maybe into some of the listeners, is that this isn't money that you're just giving them and they're hanging on to because. The alternative is, well, I hang on to that myself, um, but by giving this excess amount into the, the plan, mm-hmm. the insurance company is taking that money, they're investing that money for you, it's growing tax-free, and then there's other uses for it further on down the road.
2: And they're not using it for their own use, mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that when you put money into a deposit with the bank... They don't go and spend it on something. They actually hold it for you so that they can return it to you in a future point when you want it back with some interest or whatever vehicle you've used. So no different with an insurance vehicle that they are holding it there for your use in the future. In the meantime, it is compounding free of tax Mm -hmm. and it enables, uh, as we alluded, enables you to, at some point in the future, perhaps use that pool to no longer put more money into this pool uh, because you now have a large enough pool that's going to sustain the insurance costs itself.
0: Right. So, you so have, you've, you accumulated, you've, incu- uh, you've accumulated a large uh, cash reserve, mm-hmm. this cash balance, and it's going to continue to grow. And then based on the cost of insurance, the insurance company can withdraw from that pool. So you're not needing to pay for insurance, um, even though you are, because it's coming out of your savings. Sure. um, But you're not needing to worry about it. It's all sort of self-sustaining. Right.
2: And, And you're using at that point, you're using untaxed dollars to right. pay your premiums as opposed to earning money, paying tax, and then paying the premium.
0: Mm-hmm. So there,
2: you know there, there's a lot of layers of tax benefit in using insurance, uh, particularly permanent insurance policies.
0: Okay. Um, and there's different types of permanent insurance policies, whole life, universal life. Uh, Correct. And- yeah. I
2: would say there's really three major categories mm-hmm. and it's almost like a spectrum. So let's go from the most simple on the left to the more complex on the right. Okay, so that's, uh, That makes sense in your, in your view. Uh,
0: well, except that when I'm looking at you on the computer, it's the other way it's around. the other way around. <laughs> and and you, the, the, the listeners uh, could just, sure, one end to the other.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know what my right and left are, but listen to my advice anyway, right? <laughs> <Got it. laughs> All right, on this end, I won't yes. define it, but on this end, we have um, term to 100 okay. products. And I know I'm using the word term but forgive me this is a distinction i'll make it is still a permanent policy in nature okay that is it guarantees that the policy will stay in force all the way to age 100 okay. and 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 beyond by the way the cost of the insurance is traditionally a, a fixed cost so mm-hmm. it doesn't escalate as you age um, and it probably has zero or very minimal cash value okay so on the on this one end you've got the most simplistic permanent coverage with no bells or whistles no cash values nothing uh, you can't prepay premiums you just have to pay them each year as, a, as you go along and and uh, if you survive to age 100 you stop paying premiums but it's still the policy stays in force
0: okay yeah
2: on the opposite end you've got a very high cash rich uh, kind of product uh, let's let's call it the whole life in this case and even within the whole life there's a, a spectrum but let's let's design this as being a uh, high premium, high cash value, uh, quick funding plan where within 10 years you've fully funded this plan. no more premiums are, are needed because you got so much cash in there already. Mm-hmm. It's going to stay in force till age 100 as well. Uh, but not only that, it's going to compound in value. so the actual life insurance amount uh, will increase uh, twofold threefold depending on the pattern of you know the investment. Uh, so not only the cash value grows, but also the actual life insurance amount, which is usually more than the cash value, right. um, will, will compound over lifetime. And in between here is uh, an area of universal life. And universal life is like a whole life in that it has uh, the ability to have lots of cash value. But as a as a client, you have the the flexibility of choosing how much. Uh, You deposit excess cash into this plan uh, Uh and it could be varied from year to year. There's no prescribed dictated formula here. It's totally up to your cash flow. And perhaps, you know, for some business people who have varying incomes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, varying cycles of business, this might be more suitable because of its flexibility. Um, So in good years, you can
0: contribute more and and in leaner years, you can hold off.
2: Yes, you could even
0: take or stop altogether
2: pre- premium premium holidays, if you will. Uh, as long as you've got enough cash in the pot that can carry it, this, right, that it. that level of uh, flexibility remains there. But in the in the heart of this product, this mm-hmm. universal life world, is really a term to one hundred product with the ability to exit put excess cash in this in this tax exempt investment category. We we call it cash value
0: okay and uh, can you control how it gets invested the money yes
2: absolutely right so on the bottom end you don't have any insurance uh, any investment component on the top end you've got the whole life where um, the investment is completely controlled and managed by the insurer okay. and to your point this middle category this universal life product allows you as the investor to choose do I want uh, you know uh, T bills uh, GIC Super conservative type of investment? Stuff. Or do I want linked to market performances of equities and and so on?
0: And Uh, and within the equity equity category, you can be uh, fairly aggressive and you can be sort of more middle of the road.
2: Yeah, or or a mix of these. So depending on the insurer, you'll have uh, multiple options or even prescribed packages, kind of like mutual fund structures in here. Uh, so there's some, some insurers have upwards of 400 choices in these investments. So but you, you really
0: can build an investment portfolio within a universal life in correct. the same way as you're building an investment portfolio, whether it's in your RSP, TFSA, or any investment account. Correct. Sorry. And, and, and I think I cut you off. Was, was, was there, was there any other points on that that you wanted? To well,
2: the clear? only thing I wanted to point out was that, um, the, the investment choices there do differ from your TFSA and your, your RSP and your other investments in that okay. you're not able to buy direct bonds or stocks. What you're really buying okay. are, uh, um, let's call them derivatives, but but they're linked to the performance of an indicator or an indice. So, so like an uh, exchange traded fund. Yeah. Like somewhat like an ETF. Some, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very, very similar to an ETF. Yes.
0: Now it's making me think Now now w- with an RSP or TFSA or investment account, if I re- get really into lean times and I need money, I, I can access that. But now the money in that cash value, that's not locked in like that. That's not, you know, mm-hmm. restricted from my access. Is that correct?
2: Right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, but one must be careful in the same way as you need to be ge- careful with money taken out of uh, other registered plans, whether it's TFSAs or RSPs. Um Similarly in an insurance contract, whereas there's a, tax exempt treatment of this compounding account,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, how we access that money in the future uh, ha- may have tax implications. So for example, um, you've built up equity in a in a policy uh, and year eight or year 10, you, you come into lean times or or forget about lean times. Let's let's think positively. You're in a business and you have an opportunity to buy uh-huh. the property in which you're running your business or or buy up another competitor. Okay. Good so it doesn't exam. have to be yeah. a negative thing, but, okay. uh, but you need but access you, you to you capital. Okay. Okay. Yep. You could turn around and take that money out of the policy, particularly mm-hmm. with the universal life, the ability to just withdraw the cash without impacting the actual life insurance uh, is, is a much more clear scenario. However, the moment you pull it out, that's a tax event. Oh, it and is. it is uh, okay. because you're drawing it out of a tax envir- environment, tax exempt environment. Um, and let's not get into the weeds of how this works, but in simple terms, the longer you've had the policy, the more of this potentially would be exposed to tax. Uh-huh. So if you're doing this early on in year five or six, uh, chances are any withdrawal will be treated as a tax-free withdrawal. Uh, they, they look at it as that, your own capital, right? Okay. But beyond that, there is a possibility that part, or if not all of it, could be treated as as income and it's not even treated as capital gain or dividend. Okay. So you you really have to get good advice on when, and if you want to access it that way. Okay. More traditionally. Yeah, exactly. So I I wanted to lead you down to what is more common and typical is to borrow against the policy and whether you borrow directly from the insurer. So you could say, you know, Canada Life, Manulife or whoever it might be. I've got this policy with you with $100,000 of cash. I need access to 50,000 of that. Mm-hmm. And they'll lend you money. And there's a, you know, a particular way in which they'll, they'll structure that. There'll be a, uh, an interest payment and, and it might even be in your contract what that interest rate is. Mm-hmm. It may not be very pretty by the way, uh, but, but it's it'll be contractual that you could do that. But the better way is typically to actually pledge that policy to a third party, to a lender, so, pledge uh,
0: meaning sort of like using that as collateral.
2: Collateral, right? Yeah. So you say here, I've got I've got this contract with a hundred thousand dollars of cash value in it, mm-hmm. uh, and Mr. Banker or Mrs. Banker, um, here's my policy. I'm willing to give this as collateral that if I don't make good on my loan, you can cash it in and take the money from here. Mm-hmm. And they'll lend you, typically, depending on the product, anywhere between 50 to 90 percent of the cash surrender value of the policy. Wow! Uh, so and, as and, early and as year two.
0: Yeah, and and so then you're looking at much more competitive interest rates.
2: Correct. Yeah. Typically, you're you're looking at uh, even with no negotiation, you'll get uh, you know prime plus two. Uh, but if, if you've got good credit, uh, you're a good customer with this bank already, uh, you might be looking at prime, prime and, and a quarter uh, right. really depends on the, side, the the loan that you're doing and your other business with them.
0: Right. Because it's it's a very high quality asset that you're pledging to the bank that you're giving them. Exactly. They, they know that that, that that asset is there. Uh, so they're willing to loan.
2: Well, that, that's that's an interesting point because uh, the asset is is absolutely very good, yes. but the nature of the investment. Will dictate that percentage that I said.
0: Uh-huh. So
2: you know, if you've got a universal life that is uh, in high risk investments, okay. you, know, you may be comfortable with that, but the bank might not be. Right. So therefore, they're lending to you against that high equity position might be at fifty percent. Right. But if you've got a whole life product that is has a very uh, what we call a smooth rate of return that mm-hmm. is p- predictable and managed by the insurer. Uh, with high probability of sustaining this level, right. uh, they'll typically lend you up to 90% of those types of products.
0: Okay, so if you've got a universal life plan, And I decided long ago, I was pretty aggressive and I I decided I wanted to invest it in equities and, you know, emerging markets and things like that. Mm. But now I need to borrow against that and I'm going to take it to the bank and they're going to say to me, well, you know, it's pretty aggressive portfolio, Mark.
2: You want to Uh, ratchet it down.
0: So you can do that, right? You can, I could then go to my insurance company, say, all right, you know what, now Mm. let's put it all into T-bills. All guaranteed and then i go to the bank and they say aha well this is yeah. now a better quality asset uh right. we will loan you more money so there, there's there's things you can do of to course the,
2: you, you know they may not go to 90 percent because but, there's the, there's the risk that you might change your mind after you've got the loan oh, right <laughs> right Good point okay well, unless if that's part of the contract arrangement that you can't that, that mess you around don't. with the yeah
0: uh, 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 and if you and if you do then okay okay well that, right. that's actually very interesting yeah. I, I didn't know you yeah. can do that yeah. um and and then I think specifically, now, we didn't really talk about the difference between having um, a a permanent policy for a corporation, for a a business owner, doctor, dentist, lawyer, who have professional corporations. Um, There's a lot of things that they can do there from, you know, an estate planning perspective. Can you maybe touch on some of that?
2: Yeah, I'd love to, but I I think we we wanted to touch on. (laughs) on, No, no, that's okay. I I do want to go there, but I, I think it's important to distinguish when and when is it appropriate to even have permanent insurance? Let's okay. not assume immediately that that's the right thing to do because it's not necessarily right. always the right thing to do. Okay. So just generically, let's talk about when you, you, you consider these pieces. And as I gave you the example that you know the, the term insurance for a mortgage would be very suitable, when would you decide that having some permanent insurance makes sense? Mm -hmm. Well, a few things. First of all, I I would always look at, you know, what is the ultimate objective of this insurance, right, is it just to protect your income capacity during the income years, or is it a real desire to make sure that you have uh, additional assets that, that are distributed to your family, regardless of when. Perhaps you have a, a specific bequest. Maybe you have a special needs child, you want to make sure you have set aside X number of dollars for, and you, you don't want to dilute the rest of your estate by taking you know 40 or 50 percent of it and, and putting it in a trust for this one child and then distributing the rest between the other three kids. Uh, maybe you don't want to do that. You want to make sure that this child is taken care of separately and a permanent insurance policy potentially would be a good solution. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would look for is, you know, as soon as you're talking about putting more deposits and and creating cash value, I would want that that candidate, that client to already have significantly reduced their mortgage. It doesn't have to be zero, but proportionately, you know, you don't want someone with uh, 80% borrowed against their property, putting money in a life insurance policy with cash values when they really should be, even at the current interest rates, they really should be reducing their debt. Have they maximized their RSPs? Have they maximized their TFSAs? You know, these are fundamentally useful tax provisions that the government gives us. We don't want to do this ahead of those. It could right. be in con- concurrent, you know, there's, there's no, no such thing as saying, you know, you have to have all your RSP saturated before you do a TFSA or vice versa, mm-hmm. similarly with insurance. But, but you certainly don't want to be starting with zero in your RSP and all, all the money going into it cash value policy.
0: Right. So it, it's kind of what we had talked about a bit in the first episode, a needs analysis, uh, yes. taking a look at where you are today in terms of your total financial plan, assets and liabilities, and how those assets are um, separated out. And and then figuring out, okay, should I be focusing, as you said, on the RSP, TFSA, um, permanent insurance? How do each of these sort of figure in in that uh, bigger picture, yeah,
2: absolutely. And okay. and the biggest biggest driver typically for permanent insurance will be, you know, I want to keep the cottage and the family. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that the final taxes on my RSP pool uh, don't whittle down the value of what's transferred. Uh, you know, when when we factor in the final tax bill for a reasonably wealthy couple, and and we know that they're going to have a million dollar tax bill at the final day. The biggest tax bill they'll ever have. They won't, they won't be around, thank God, because they would have had a heart attack from that too. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, Those are the things that would drive uh, perhaps looking at some sort of print insurance solution.
0: Do you want to talk about um, operating corporations versus hold co's? Right. Um, okay. for, and, and again, this is for, for business owners. Um, should Is there a difference? Uh, should uh, business owners and professionals be holding insurance in an operating company versus a holding company
2: right or, or should they be holding it in any company to begin or, with or in any want?
0: company yeah exactly yeah
2: should they hold it personally or, or corporately is, is, mm-hmm. is a good question and again you know uh, each each case will will dictate uh, I'll give you the pros and cons on both sides and, and you know um, individuals will have to get get advice on their situation obviously. So first of all, you know, when you own insurance personally, it, uh, and and you've named a a preferred beneficiary, preferred beneficiary being, I always do the cross, uh, sorry for the Christian reference, but anyway, (laughs) uh, you know, going up one one generation to parents, going sideways to spouse and going down two generations to child or grandchild. Mm -hmm. So child or grandchild, spouse, grandparent, if you named any one of those as your beneficiary, uh, your your contract has this extra level of creditor protection, which means that the cash value that you have in the policy is not accessible by anybody that, who has a, a claim against you personally. You can't do that in a corporation, obviously. OK, I'll, we'll get there in a minute. But it personally owned um, with a preferred beneficiary. You've got additional creditor protection. Um And, and of course the death benefit comes out tax-free and goes directly to the beneficiary that's named, uh, end of story. There's no, you know, you bypass, uh, the probate process if you've named a beneficiary. Okay.
0: Okay. And just to be clear, um, before you mentioned that if you wanted to borrow or or withdraw from that, uh, cash value, there Mm -hmm. is, or potentially may be tax implications upon death. Uh, the full amount is tax free, correct?
2: Correct. Yeah. Okay. Any, any death benefit, uh, even if, if, uh, part of your cash value forms part of that death benefit. Mm-hmm. Okay. By definition, by CRA definition, they consider it still a death benefit. Okay.
0: That, that's because a, that's it's, a good
2: it's, point. It's a, it's resulting from the death of the individual that this this refund is occurring. Uh, and so in fact, one of the major insurers changed their, uh, um claims process to exclude that discussion around cash value in in the death benefit payout they don't no longer use the word cash value at the time of death because okay. it is considered as as part of the death benefit okay well, so be, that's good it all comes tax free okay so flip to the corporate environment for a minute now good,
0: good, cuz I, I think that a lot of uh, listeners yeah. and we definitely get a lot of questions about this um, yeah. you know business owners and professionals who have accumulated a lot of their personal net worth within a corporation. And and they may have done it for uh, the tax benefits. Of course, you know, corporate tax rates are different than individual tax rates, but now they've accumulated a lot of money and, and, and um, you know, maybe it was an operating company, but now it's a holding company and they're looking at retirement and planning for retirement and planning for an estate. Right. Uh, So you're,
2: you're, you're painting the, the optimal picture. Okay. I'm just going to dial it back a little bit like for a moment. No, 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 that's that's good. No, 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 that's that's fantastic. We're going to do that. But I, I would say that even if you're at the stage where you just, you know, you've got an incorporation, you've got cash flow, and maybe you, you haven't really built up any retained earnings yet. Okay. You're going. You're going there. You're going to be there. Okay. In not too far. Uh, the reality is that you already have an opportunity to use lower taxed dollars, corporate tax dollars at what twelve and a half percent in Ontario. Versus personally tax dollars, which is perhaps at fifty or fifty-three mm-hmm. percent, in order to pay your insurance premium. Big so dose. where it's where it's possible, uh, you may want to have your policy held in your corporation and paid for by your company. You're not deducting the premium. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not that's a no go. Uh, right. But you are able to pay it with after tax dollars using corporate money. So that one dollar of premium is gonna cost you a dollar fourteen, dollar fifteen, whatever it is. Right. Whereas whereas for you to personally pay that same dollar, it might cost you two dollars to pay your tax and then pay your dollar of premium. So there's there's all, immediately a benefit huge for, for even the starting businesses that just have, you know, cash is just a conduit through the corporation. It's not mm-hmm. even building up yet. But let's move to your you know, more ideal scenario where you have a client who's, who's been successful in in retaining earnings, uh, has maybe sold a a part of their, their business um, or, or has multiple businesses and and one of them they've sold. Anyway, they, they, they may have uh, a storehouse of cash sitting in their corporation. And ideally this, this should be by the way, in your holding company and not your operating company. Simply one of the main reasons is, you know, what if in the future you want to sell your operating company? You don't right. want your personal insurance tied to that thing that you're selling. You right. want it held in a holding company separate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that that layer of separation from the operating company gives you that credit or protection equivalent, if you will, in the corporate environment that that we described in the personal environment. So
0: if the, if the corporation gets sued, if your operating company gets sued, um, the what you've got in your Holdco holding companies will correct. remain separate.
2: Good. Correct. Yeah, it's far more removed. There's never, no such thing as a 100% guarantee, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to creditor protection, they, they sometimes do find their way to other assets you have. Uh, but that that separation of holdco opco, one of the reasons people do that is for the creditor protection. Okay. So holding it in the holdco uh, makes sense from that perspective. And the fact that you've got this storehouse of cash reserves there, um, life insurance does a number of things. Number one, it protects the very thing that you're trying to protect. So if it's your life that you're insuring so that your family is uh, you know, better off and, and able to pay the final taxes on this storehouse, the wealth that you've created, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to to, to deal with the the tax, the liquidity aspect of that, all those good reasons for having insurance there certainly have to be there in order to even buy the insurance. Uh, But there's also sort of an investment tax uh, structure that is beneficial. Okay. Few things, you know, with all the rules that changed in back in 2006, end of 2016, uh, and later on 2017, um, we have some restrictions on uh, how much capital we can hold in our our corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, forgive me'm I'm, I'm, my, my references okay. to the dates are a little off but but yeah yeah, I think it was uh, 2017. Um, but the, the point here is that we now have some limitations on how much capital and how much income we can generate, passive yeah. income we can generate, right. in our corporation, and it's fifty thousand. And at the moment, you are generating more than fifty thousand. You no longer benefit uh, proportionally on the small business deduction. Right. So to the extent that you carve away some of these assets into a tax-exempt environment, uh-huh. uh, that doesn't form part of that. So if you earn ten or twenty thousand dollars of growth in the insurance contract, it's not part of that $50,000 calculation.
0: Very important.
2: Okay. So you can, you can, in a way, shelter it against that calculation. It still remains an asset of the corporation. So it's on the asset sheet. And as we alluded to earlier on, you can borrow against the equity of this policy if you need to. No different than if you bought a building or uh, had a big GIC pool or whatever it is, they are all Assets of the corporation that you could pledge to a bank and, and borrow against if you if you needed to. Similarly, with this you know tax exempt insurance fund, and ultimately, what occurs with this insurance vehicle, this investment vehicle, really what it is, uh, is that it, it ultimately pays out back as a tax free dividend. Sorry, as as a tax free death benefit to the corporation. Okay. So upon upon death. Any life insurance paid out, whether it's to a person or to a corporation is paid
0: tax free, but it's paid tax free to the corporation,
2: to the corporation, because the corporation must be the beneficiary. You can't okay. have a personal, personal benefit from a corporately owned policy. Okay. That's a, that's a no-go. Okay. Now the question becomes, how do I get that money out to my spouse or my children at that point?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and that's where the layer of tax occurs. This is a little more complex discussion, but uh, suffice it to say that uh, a majority of this uh, death benefit credits what's called the capital dividend account, right. the CDA. Yeah, and I the capital all the
0: accountants unit, out there definitely are familiar yeah, with that.
2: I'm sure they are, yeah. Uh, so the CDA is just a, a conduit for tax free dividends to come out of a corporation. And it's the very same vehicle that you would use to take the tax free component of a capital gain. So you sell a stock for a gain, yep. uh, 50% of it is taxable, 50% is not taxable. That not taxable portion credits the CDA, the same conduit we just described. Okay. And it's, it's the, the vehicle through which a tax-free dividend is declared and paid downstream to the shareholders.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Same with life insurance. Life insurance, majority of it credits this CDA
0: mm-hmm.
2: and is payable out as a tax-free dividend. The the variable that I'm referring to is a it's it's a time lapse issue, so the longer you have this policy, the older you are, uh, more of this uh, death benefit ultimately gets gets credited to the CDA. In fact, at some point, it becomes hundred percent credited to the CDA. So if you live so, to a ripe old age, it will it will pay out tax free.
0: So living longer is, is a is a good thing, uh, but getting Always started but getting started earlier also yeah. benefits you. Uh, Absolutely, options. right. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- that's uh, that's very interesting, um, and, and this, you know, especially I think for for business owners, knowing that there are um, tax benefits, there are business benefits, being able to use it as collateral. Uh, there's estate planning benefits. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things um, where it can really uh, play into a properly structured uh, strategy or mm-hmm. properly structured plan. If done properly. We,
2: should, we should we should also interject in there. I mean, I jumped from current tax benefits to final tax benefits, and we didn't talk about the middle part. Uh, yeah. Although we talked about borrowing earlier, I just wanted to highlight that for the corporate environment, this is often a, a high uh, interest topic, uh, particularly for professionals uh, wanting to have a, a you know a pension of some sort, which
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: doctors don't have pension programs. Uh, And many business people don't have formal pension programs. So one of the ways to to structure that is to be able to borrow against the cash value of the policy in later life and, and create a a revenue stream an income stream through this uh, asset that's in the corporation. Uh, Albeit, it'll be a taxable dividend when you draw it, but it's a wonderful way of creating this uh, additional pool of cash from which you can draw Uh, to the extent that you need to. And if you don't, it just means you've got just a larger piece that's going to go on to your favorite charity or your children or whoever it might be that you've named.
0: Um, Well, I think that uh, that covers most of the stuff. Um, Thanks so much for joining us, Greg. This was a fantastic episode. Um, On the next episode, we're going to be moving on to the people who are I guess later in life, people who are sort of in retirement or near retirement and looking at how insurance strategies can benefit them. So thanks so much to everyone for listening to this episode of Living Richer. And, um, you know, we look forward to seeing you again uh, next time and helping you build your wealth. And once again, if you did have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can connect with me through our website, livingricherwealth.com or through LinkedIn. And um, we look forward to seeing you next time on Living Richer.
1: Information in this podcast is from sources believed to be reliable. However, we cannot represent that it is accurate or complete. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. The views are those of Mark Chimpovitz and not necessarily those of Raymond James Wooden. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James. James Limited member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Fund.